Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, uh, the next six weeks we are looking at parable series and parables are just the way that Jesus taught people about the Kingdom of God. And uh, Matthew 13, it says this, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So I was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world. What is a parable? A parable is just a story that Jesus uses where He picks up common themes, language, pictures, uh, objects that people would know and understand. And He teaches us about the deep things of God through those really common pictures and stories. Now we have to do a little bit of work because some of the stories that Jesus told people 2,000 years ago that made perfect sense to them because of the world as they knew and experienced it uh, have changed a little bit for us. So some of the work we've got to do is digging into the what would people have been hearing when Jesus told this story. But we need to understand when Jesus tells these stories, the people listening to it aren't thinking to themselves, what's He mean when He talks about a field and buying a field and spreading seed and a farmer doing this? They knew because it was like us just talking about what happens in everyday life here. But Jesus had this incredible capacity. He was the master storyteller. He took these very simple concepts and helped people dig very, very deeply into the things of God that help them come awake to the things of God that aren't always simple concepts. And today we've already seen what our parable is. It's a really simple picture of a man who finds a treasure in a field and then he in his joy goes out, sells everything he's got so he can buy the field with the treasure in it. That's Jesus' story. We're gonna talk about that this morning. We'll get back to that verse in just a moment. But when we talk about the Kingdom of God and if, if, you're a, if you read your Bible a little bit in the first four books of the New Testament, which are the stories of Jesus, uh, it talks about the Kingdom of God a lot. The Kingdom of God is like, Jesus says, the Kingdom of God is like, and then He tells a story. In the Gospel of Matthew, the language is often the Kingdom of Heaven. But those two phrases are interchangeable, Kingdom of Heaven and Kingdom of God. One of the dangers when we read through Matthew's accounts and we read this idea of the Kingdom of Heaven, we sometimes think that Jesus is talking about something that's far off in the distance yet to come. But no, when Jesus tells these stories, what we start to discover about the Kingdom is it's not just about what is to come, it is about what is happening right here and right now through Jesus Himself present in this place, in this moment. You see, the Kingdom of God is not something we wait and anticipate. The Kingdom of God is something that is broken through already, that is at work. It's at work in us, through us, in our communities. Wherever God is present and ruling and reigning and changing things, that is a picture of the Kingdom of God. And so what is the Kingdom of God? Well, the Kingdom of God is a place where the rule of God exists. The Kingdom of God is a place where the reign of God exists. It's a place where God's in charge and the things of God are prominent, preeminent and are over all things. So when Jesus talks about the Kingdom, what He says is, I wanna tell you what things are like when God is in charge. And then He unpacks it for us. And the picture is beautiful. The picture is beautiful and we're gonna learn that over the next six weeks of what life looks like when we let God be in charge of it. Contrast to what happens when we try to take charge of our own life and make decisions and do things that muck stuff up. 
And so when Jesus speaks in parables, He unpacks for us a picture of the Kingdom. Sorry to today's story, but let's start by having a little bit of fun together. I wanna start by saying this. The value that you place on something will determine the cost that you're willing to pay for it. The value you place on something will determine the cost that you're willing to pay for it. We all know this is true. Let me give you some examples. We're gonna have a bit of fun. I need you just to, no one's gonna be watching you, okay? So if I ask you to raise your hand, don't worry, it's not that embarrassing. They're looking at me and I'm a whole lot more embarrassing than you having to raise your hand right now, right? But what I'm gonna ask is you're gonna put up a series of items. I'm gonna ask you how much you would be willing to pay for that item, okay? I've tried to fix some stuff that is gonna be different for the rest, for a whole bunch of us, but let's start with something that's fairly current and on the back of last night, probably not as popular as it could have been. But next Saturday night, the Brisbane Lions are gonna be playing a semi-final at the Gabba versus Greater Western Sydney Giants. And uh, it's really hard to get tickets. Right, it's really hard to get tickets to Lions finals games because all the members get in, they buy them up, all the GWS members, well, there won't be that many of them, but you know, the members of the other club come up. It's really hard to get tickets. So can I just ask who, if I had today two tickets to offer to see the Lions semi-final next week, would happily give me $10 each for them? I'm just show of hands. Okay, leave it up if you'd be willing to pay 20 bucks to go to the Lions next week. 50? Ooh. a ticket. (laughs) Okay, 150 bucks a ticket. Has anyone got tickets? Bring them to me, right? I'll make a profit out of this. You see, the value we place on something determines the cost that we're willing to pay for it. Uh, Obviously, Darren and Justin love the Lions, would happily pay big money. I actually got Justin tickets to last night's game. I should have told him they were worth 120 bucks. I would have made a profit out of him. Second thing. November 12 this year, I know it because I've already got tickets to this, but you too will be playing Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Who would happily pay me 50 bucks for my tickets right now? Come on, let's get to $100, $150. Anyone at $200 a ticket? Sue Sharp, rock and roll, I say. <laughs> well, we're at 200 bucks at the back now. Again, I can make a profit out of this. Sarah, that's, Darren's going to the Lions and paying a premium. You're going to you too. Anyone pay 250 bucks a ticket? Anyone paid 250 bucks a ticket to go to you too? I know there's some of you here, but I'm not gonna shame you. Okay, you get the idea. Okay, I don't even know who this guy is, so forgive me, but Sean Mendes apparently is also playing a concert somewhere in Brisbane, probably in a local park, because I don't think he's that popular. But who'd pay $50 to go see Sean Mendes play? All the young people put their hand up and then those that are trying to be young in the front row. Right? $200 for a Sean Mendes ticket right now. Yeah, yeah, you you get my point. Okay, what about a piece of A-grade, top quality, best steak you can find in the world, Kobe Wagyu beef rib fillet steak from Japan? Okay, any meat lovers here? 20 bucks at a restaurant. 50 bucks at a restaurant. $100 at a restaurant, everyone. There's a few that are still in at the back. Well done, guys. Retired boxer Ricky Fowler recently on a holiday in the Mediterranean got his bill for his restaurant and didn't realise that the piece of A-grade Kobe Wagyu Japanese rib fillet steak cost him 920 pounds. He's got to learn to read that menu better, don't you reckon? He said he, he cried tears when he saw the bill. 
I don't know how you do that, but I would not, like, that's more than, I've got, there's seven in my family, that's more than our grocery bill in a fortnight for one piece of steak. Okay, two more. I'm trying to involve everyone in this. A 1953 Aston Martin DB3S. Now, I'm not a car person. Who would pay $200,000 for this car? $500,000 for this car. A million dollars for this car. Okay, I could keep going. The, the, the four blokes with their hands in the air know the value of this car. Sothersby Auctions is putting it up for auction and they're estimating a value between $8.75 and $10.5 million for this car. The value you place on something determines the cost you're willing to pay. Okay, one more. Okay, this is gonna get all the, all the families involved. A rare Lion King furry Simba Ushi. $500. Okay, this church is much more sensible than I thought you were. Well done. Apparently, it's uh, someone made a bid of $99,000 for this on eBay. And then when they got asked to pay up, the parent got on and said, I'm really sorry, that was my child. So, but it's crazy what happens in supermarkets over things that you get when you spend money on your groceries. You get my point. The value you place on something determines the cost that you're willing to pay for it. Some of those items, some of you just thought to yourself, there is no way I'd pay $2 for that. I have, I have no interest in seeing you two play Suncorp Stadium. I have no interest in sitting in a crowd on Saturday night watching an AFL match. I couldn't, you wouldn't even get me to pay two bucks for that. That would be a waste of my money. But for others of you, some of those items that come up, you say, man, if I had the chance to go or experience that, or if I had the chance to have that in my possession, you, there's not, the amount of money is actually secondary to the value of that item for me. The value we place in something determines the cost that they're willing to pay for it. I wanna say more than that though, the greater the value, the greater willingness we have to pay the cost. Right? It's not just the value and the cost, it's the greater willingness to pay the cost. We all know what that's like in a begrudging sense. There's things that we pay for all of the time that we don't like that we have to pay for, but we do it and we're willing to do it because the value of what we get out of it is worth it. Let me give you an example. All of us here that drive cars hate paying registration fees, don't we? But we do it because of the value of what we get when we do that. I don't like putting fuel in my car at $1.60 a litre, but I also value the chance to drive somewhere and not have to walk there or catch public transport. You see, we're willing to pay the cost when the value is great. I read an article written in 2016 by a girl by the name of Melanie Wright. Some of you might know her if you follow athletics and swimming in particular. Her name was uh, Melanie Schlanger, I think, and she was a swimmer in the Australian swim team at the London 2012 Olympic Games. And she wrote an article about the cost of being a high-level swimmer. She talked about how she started late as a 14-year-old into swimming. Most started at a very, very young age. And if you start to succeed in swimming at a young age, there is a really robust training regime that involves you getting to the pool at 5am of a morning and then returning to the pool after school at 4pm in the afternoon to do a couple of 
multiple hour sessions of swimming in the pool. And there is no way in this world, I don't care if my kids were gonna be the next Ian Thorpe, swimming was not even on the table as an offer for them because getting to a pool at 5am in the morning, that's a significant cost. She said once you get out of school though, it really ramps up because now you've got some more time. And so she talks about the cost of getting to the top level of swimming. And she said, my training regime would be about 35 hours a week. Most weeks I do between 40 and 60 kilometres of swimming. And she said, this isn't just about distance. This is every session pushing myself to the threshold of pain so I could learn to push through it. She said, there were days I'd roll out of the pool completely exhausted, throwing up because I'd spent so much in that 40 to 60 kilometres of swimming every week. She said six days a week, there'd be a really strict regime on training hours. Many, many hours in the pool, many hours in the gym, many hours doing strength and conditioning and physio. And then on top of that, all the massage sessions and recovery sessions and stretching sessions. She said six days a week, my life was filled with training for swimming. But it's not just the hours you do at the pool, it's also the diet that you have to manage so that you're at your peak performance when you're in the pool. You see, it's a whole life event to be a professional swimmer and to do well at it. She said, I trained 50 weeks of the year. I even had to train on Christmas Day because that's what it took to get to the top of my game. In 2012, Melanie Wright, as part of a relay team, won a gold medal at the London Olympics in swimming relay. Her leg was 52.47 seconds. Years and years and years of training, day after day of sacrifice and cost. But when the reward is great, the willingness to pay the cost becomes greater. Thirdly, let me say this, the greater the reward, the greater the joy in the cost. So how much we value something determines how much we're willing to pay for it. How much the reward that comes in the thing that we value is the more willing we are to pay for it. But more than that, the greater the reward, the more joy we find in the cost. Anything that costs us something, cost implies that there's actually a loss, isn't there? If you have to pay the cost of something, you're actually giving out something. There's a loss for you. If it's money out of your wallet, if it's time out of your week, whatever it is, Anything that costs us something actually comes with some pain and some sacrifice. That is the whole idea of cost. But if the reward of that cost is great, the joy, oh, the reward is great, the joy of the cost is great as well. At the end of the game last night, I told my, I went to the Lions match last night and took three of my sons and I told them that if they wanted to go, they were going to have to pay for their tickets because my kids would go to everything if I paid for it. But there comes a point where I'm like, you really want to go to the footy, you guys have got to use your pocket money and then use your money to pay for it. And so I got them tickets and now I'm kind of the debt collectors are going to go out with my kids because they think dad's going to forget, but dad never forgets. <laughs> hey, right. At the end of the match, Eli, who uh, my eldest son, who's recently got a job and is incredibly good at saving, it takes a miracle to get him to spend money on anything. On the nights we tell him he's got to buy his own dinner if he's going out with his friends, he usually buys $1 chips and $1 Slurpee. That's kind of $2 is really busting the budget for Eli, but he's really good with his money. Anyway, I made him pay 38 bucks because he's a super passionate line supporter. Anyway, at the end of the match, he just goes, well, that was a waste of money, wasn't it? <laughs> I think he's in kids today, you hear he? 
And I'm thinking, yeah, it's true, isn't it? When the reward is great, we don't even think about the cost. Guarantee if the Lions get up by five goals last night, he would have happily paid 120 bucks to be present. But the minute the reward that we get out of something isn't that great, the cost suddenly becomes an issue for us. Jesus tells this story. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Think about treasure. Hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had. There's something about this treasure that means the cost comes with joy. He finds a treasure of that immense value that in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he had and he bought the field so he could have the treasure. It's a really, really simple story by Jesus. And I don't want us in the next couple of weeks to get too complex in trying to dig and and look for that hidden meaning. Jesus' parables weren't laden with hidden meaning. We've got to do some context work, but often the meaning is simple. And, And the meaning is really simple. When you find something of immense value, you'll give everything for it. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. When you discover it in its fullness, with great joy, you'll pay the cost, even if it costs you everything to receive it. The big point of this parable is really, really simple. It's this. The joy of knowing Jesus is greater than the cost of following Him. The joy of knowing Him is greater than the cost of following Him. But parables aren't stories Jesus tells just laced with nice sentiment. There's always a sting in the tail. And I reckon the sting in the tail of this parable is found in one really short part of what Jesus says when He says, the man in his joy sold all that he had. You see it if you jump on an auction site, don't you? And there's a rare item that people want. You determine who really, really wants it by who's willing to pay the most. I've been to some charity auction events over the years and I'll often go in with this great idea that I'm gonna get that signed football for 20 bucks and I've got 20 bucks in my pocket just in the hope that the other 450 people in that room don't like football and that's just gonna sneak through to me. But once the bid gets to 20 bucks, I'm out. And then I'm really disappointed when it sells for like four and a half thousand. And I realised I was never in with a shot. And that's the thing that Jesus says, when the man discovers the treasure in the field, he actually goes out and doesn't say, well, what, what can I rustle up to go and buy that field? What compartment of my life am I happy to give up to go and buy that field? No, no, it says when he discovered it, he went out and he sold everything. Everything else he had got put aside for the joy of buying the field with the treasure in it. And here's where the sting in the tail comes for us when it comes to this parable. I wanna say this, if we wanna experience all there is of God, it's gonna cost us everything there is of us. If we wanna experience all there is of God, it's gonna cost us everything there is of us. What do I mean by that? So many of us embrace faith like it's a compartment of life. We go to it when there's a need and we need God to come through for it. We go to it on Sundays because we think it's the thing we should do. We go to it occasionally because we want our kids to grow up in a great environment where you know, we talk about God occasionally and we pray before dinner and we take them to Christmas services and remind them that Christmas isn't just about Santa Claus. Like for some of us, faith lives in this compartment. 
Yet we haven't understood that if we actually want to experience all there is of God, faith isn't something that we can be compartmentalised. Actually, the thing that Jesus demands is all of us. And He says, when you give everything and you receive everything that God has for you, suddenly everything else that you had just fades away because you discover the incredible joy of receiving all that there is of God. And Jesus is constantly challenging the idols in our life and the things that we hold on to that we try and balance with Him. Where it's like, well, Jesus, I really want the things that you offer me, but I don't wanna give up my career. I don't wanna give up my, my cash balance. I don't wanna give up my time. I really would just love the benefit of a relationship with you, but I don't wanna have to do anything for that. And Jesus in this little story just reminds us that if you wanna experience all there is of God, it's gonna cost you everything there is of you. Now, if we think that that cost is something that we're not willing to pay, well, we'll never get the joy of experiencing all that there is of God. Not that God is not a generous giver. Not that God doesn't wanna lavish us with His grace. Not that God is holding back, waiting for you to earn His favour. There's just a really simple principle that if you actually don't create the space for God to do His best work, God can only work in what you're willing to give Him. It's not the lack of God's generosity, it's the amount of space that we allow Him to have. Don't experience all of God, it's gonna cost you all of you. There's a couple of simple stories in the life of Jesus that aren't parables now, they're real life events that I think illustrate this. One, we've spoken of this many times in recent months, but is the story of Zacchaeus, a young, oh, I don't know, young, a small man, the Bible tells us, who's a tax collector, a man of great wealth, a man that a lot of people didn't like because the way he earned his wealth was actually by ripping other people off, but he didn't care because he was living the high life. So he didn't care that everyone else hated him. He had plenty of money. He could go on all the holidays he wanted, buy all the stuff he wanted, probably even a great house on the top of the hill. He was a happy man because of the things that he had. And then one day he hears about Jesus. And even though there was part of him that probably thought he was living a great narrative in life, he actually started to discover that there was something more going on. And he heard some stuff about Jesus and the yearning inside him compelled him to go and find out who this guy was. And Jesus walking through town, Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus turns to Zacchaeus and says, get down, let's go have a party at your house. And what happened in that moment, the Bible tells us, Zacchaeus opens up the safe and starts just pouring out the money, paying back everyone he'd ripped off, more than he'd ripped them off, starts giving away what he had. You see, there's a picture of what happens when the Kingdom of God invades your life and suddenly all the things that you've chased matter for nothing. In his great joy, it's a picture of joy, the picture of Zacchaeus. That would have been an incredible dinner party to be at. I wish I was sitting there with Jesus that day. People go, what parts of the life of Jesus would you be like to be part of? I'm like, take me to Zacchaeus' house. Take me to the party Matthew has when Jesus calls him. There's some moments of great joy when people discover this life of faith that Jesus offers them. There's another story where it says someone else of great wealth comes to Jesus, a rich young ruler. He doesn't have a name in the Scripture. He's just a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I wanna follow you. And Jesus says, okay. Just go and deal with all the stuff you've got at home, get rid of it, sell it, give it away. If, if you're focused over there, you can't be focused over here. So just go and deal with that and then come follow me. We don't know what the outcome of that story was. We just know that the rich young ruler went away saddened, the Bible tells us, because he was a man of great wealth. The Bible doesn't advocate that we all have to go sell all of our stuff. That's not the point of that story. 
It's not the point of Jesus' interaction with that guy. The point of that interaction is Jesus says, if you've got conflicting interests, if there's conflicting interests that are demanding your heart's attention, you'll never have fullness to offer me. And for some of us, like the rich young ruler, the thing that conflicts in our interest is our wealth and our possessions. For others, it's got nothing to do with wealth and possessions. It's, it's our pursuit of relationship or it's the way we use our time or it's our selfishness that demands time for ourselves and never wants to give it away to others. You see, what Jesus does is He just addresses the idols of the heart and says, while ever you're trying to walk in parallel with me and hold on to all these other things, as a place of prominence in your life, you'll never experience the fullness of what it is to be in relationship with me. That is the challenge of this parable. Jesus' simple message is this, the joy of knowing Him is greater than the cost of following Him. I'd love you to dwell on that for this week and over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna do something really simple to help you do that. We've actually got some phone and um, like some digital wallpapers that you can download off our website that have that very point on them. So uh, why don't you jump on there? There it is, you can go online, gatewaybaptist.com.au, media slash series today and download that screensaver, have it on your desktop this week. Not as nice sentiment, but as a challenge for what that means for your life. The joy of knowing Him is greater than the cost of following Him because where I wanna land today is just a really simple question. What is it that Jesus is asking for you to lay down so you can experience the fullness of joy that comes from being in His presence? from being about His business, from experiencing all there is to experience of God and His kingdom. The joy of knowing Him is greater than the cost of following Him. I've, I, I'm yet to meet somebody. They might be out there, I'm not saying that, I've yet to meet somebody that's chosen to walk away from the trimmings of this life as they're presented to us and to dive headlong into the things of God and ever regret it. You know, the Apostle Paul, the great example for us, he, he tells his story a little bit through his writings in the New Testament. He says, I've been whipped, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been homeless, I've been neglected, I've been isolated. He just goes on and on and on and on about all the things that have happened to him since he chose to follow Jesus. But then other places he says, I, I, I would sacrifice nothing because nothing compares to the greatness. Nothing compares to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. I take it all, I take it all again, I take it all tenfold because what I've actually discovered is a life that cannot be found anywhere else. All these other paths that we go on just turn up empty, but when we discover life in Jesus, it is like a treasure in a field that you are willing to give everything for because the goodness of it is just better than anything that life can offer. I encourage us, church, let's not miss out on all that God has for us because we keep chasing down paths of things that for generation after generation after generation have come up empty. But let's dive headlong into the things of God so we can experience not just in our own life the fullness of who He is, but those around us can be impacted, transformed and changed as God does His best work in us. The joy of knowing God is greater than the cost of following Him. Let we pray together. Look, I wanna thank You that Your message is so simple. 
Lord, the application of that message today isn't simple. But Your message is so simple in its beauty that what You offer us is everything. That the reward You have for us is beyond our wildest imagination. That the joy of following You and experiencing You in all Your fullness is beyond anything that this life and the trimmings of this life could ever offer us. But God, in that we find our challenge this morning. What is it that we're chasing after while we're trying to chase after You at the same time? God, I wanna pray even right now that You would start to speak into the Spirit, to the heart and the minds of people sitting here. Just, Lord, that You'd start to just challenge the things that we hold on to, the things that, that we've lifted and made preeminent in our lives. And Lord, that challenge our heart and our heart devotion to You. God, maybe we identify them and have the courage to release our grip on them so that we can turn our attention and our devotion fully to the things of God. Thank You, Jesus, for Your goodness. Thank You that Your Kingdom is so beautiful. It's so immense. It's so transformative that when we do experience it, when we become part of it, when we see it in all its fullness, we cannot help but be captivated by it fully. Pray these things in Your Name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.